Hello guys and welcome to Happy Single Mums. Are you really just going to copy everything I'm saying? Yes! <laughs> Hello guys and welcome to Happy Single Mums, a podcast surrounding real single mummy lives. So, here's your host, me, Khalifa. Hey guys, Single Moms Podcast. I'm your host, Khalifa. Today we've got a magnificent lady from California. Um, her name is Meg, and she's got um, an Instagram page called Me For Her. And the reason why I asked her to come on to the podcast is because, yeah, um, I'm going to let you share your story, but um, some of your posts just kind of stops you in your tracks that like you can't not want to listen and not, not want to find out more and hear your story. And I just find that the fact that you're being so vulnerable is so phenomenal. It's just amazing. And we need more people that are bold and unapologetic, if that's the right word to use. So please tell the audience a bit about yourself, your page and your story. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm Meg. My story is, uh, me for her and, um, started the page because, um, it was somewhat of a healing experience for, me, part of my journey and my healing. Um, I uh, am a sexual assault survivor. Um, I was first sexually assaulted when I was seven years old. Uh, it was a, a family friend who was kind of turned into a babysitter. And um, he kind of just watched myself and my sister, my little sister, when uh, my mom would just go to the store to run an errand or go to a doctor's appointment. Um, my mom was a stay at home mom. Um, and so she, whenever she had, you know, lots of errands or anything like that to run where she didn't want to carry around two little kids, she would, um, have him just come over and watch us. And, uh, seemingly you would think it was, you know, nothing. Um, like I said, he, he was a family friend and <clears throat> ended up being, um, uh, a predator, I guess you can say. He um, uh, did not do anything with my sister, thankfully, but um, he did uh, progressively over four different days. Um, and that's just from what I can remember. Uh, uh, continued to assault me. It started with kissing, started then touching and um, kind of moved forward from there. Um, I ended up getting to a point where I did tell my parents, uh, which was at seven years old, you know, you don't, you don't understand what's going on. I didn't understand what was going on. I, I didn't know. I mean, at seven years old, I didn't know what sex was. I didn't really understand kissing aside from just, you know, kissing my parents goodnight. I mean, it's, it's a whole, it was something that just didn't feel right for me. Yeah. Obviously I was uncomfortable. Um, told my parents, they reported it to the police. The police came over and um, kind of went on from there and I can go into more if you want, but I know I'll try and just kind of keep it bullet pointed. Um, and then, uh, when I was 12 years old, um, I was assaulted again, um, by, it was a family member, a cousin who was visiting from out of town, not somebody who I, he wasn't a close family member. It's not somebody who I ever really saw. Um, thankfully after that, I actually never saw him again. Um, there was a family reunion that I was nervous that he may be there, but, um, he wasn't. So, um, 
that happened just over uh, one day, one day and one afternoon. And um, never saw him after that. And I held on to that. Um, I, you know, once I went through everything when I was seven, um, and then just, it was very hard for me at, at seven to more so just to see the pain that my parents went through. Um, that was the thing that stood out to me the most. I don't think I was quite like to the point where I was embarrassed by it at all. Um, again, more so because I just really didn't understand. All I knew was that it wasn't right. It wasn't something that should be happening. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't want to go through all of that again. I didn't want to see my parents go through that. The fact that it was even a family member this time. So somebody that they knew was blood, you know, I, I didn't want to go through that again. And I assumed I would not see this guy again. So I just held on to it. Mm. Um, and then when I was 17 years old, uh, I was uh, at a friend's house. Um, it was actually a friend's family members and we were staying the night there and I was drinking, which I guess I shouldn't have been doing at 17, but I was drinking and um, I got drunk and I had this guy that I met that night, complete stranger. He was, uh, he was a bartender and he ended up just staying at the place and making us drinks. Yeah. Um, and my friends both left to go to the store, which was just down the street um, to get more, um, more alcohol. And he uh, raped me while I was just between that time frame of them being um, away. So I guess that's a summary of my story. So three different times um, in my life. So in regards to when you were, I don't, yeah, you're such a strong woman. I cannot even, like you saying it, it's just breaking my heart. But um, in regards to when you were 12, your parents believed you when you were seven. And I know you said that you didn't want them to go through that kind of heartbreak. Um, again, didn't you want, like justice to be yeah so when I um when I was seven and they um obviously it was my parents who pressed charges and um he was still a minor um I believe he was 16 or 17 um he was um not old enough to go to jail but could have still been um you know sent to juvie that could have went to jail um he could have, he could have been, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm blanking right now, but um, I, I could have gotten justice from that, I guess is what I can say. Um, and most of everything that had to do with the police and the reporting, um, I do remember um, speaking to the police that night and telling them what happened. I had to explain, um, that night it was more of a brief kind of where did he touch you um you know um point to me or tell me kind of situation yeah um and it was late that night i woke my parents up when it was i mean they were already asleep um and so i mean i want to say it was at least probably somewhere between 10 and midnight i mean it, it was later in the, in the evening um 
the next day, I know it, I went to the police station with my mom and we sat down with the police officer and I remember going over it all again um, with them. And then they recommended that I go to uh, a child therapist who specialized in um, uh, children, assault victims. Um, and I think that was also one to help me um, to kind of process what happened uh, at seven, but also I think maybe kind of as their way to kind of maybe get some more information. Yeah. Um, and that was really the extent of me dealing with the police and telling my story. So most of it was my parents. Um, but all I know from him is he got some community service and yeah. that's it. Because uh, I often hear of um, victims and they say that they've told their parents and the parents haven't believed them. So your parents actually were kind of, they believed you, you know, so mm -hmm. you had that, um, that support. So in yes. regards to when you were um, 17, did you report that? Did that not. Wow. The hardest thing for me, um, so when I was 12, um, I mean, I made that decision to not report it, not say anything to my parents. Um, it's something that, I mean, I think a lot of other victims, regardless if it had happened to them before, um, it's, you have like a shame feeling. Mm -hmm. um, this, this like, you just kind of feel dirty, I guess. It's not anything that obviously you did and you didn't ask for it or you didn't do anything to provoke it, but it, you just, it just, it's this feeling that you just can't wash off yourself. Um, and I think having that, even when I was 12, the other thought that ran through my mind, um, I remember being, I, I kind of like locked myself in the bathroom while he was leaving. I just kind of didn't want to be there. Um, I was bleeding, um, because of the force that he had used. And I just remember thinking to myself that there was a, a moment that came to me that was like, maybe this just happens to girls. Like, maybe this is just something that happens because it happened to me at seven. It's happening to me again at 12. Like, wh why would this be, why would this even be a thing? Why would this be happening? So it kind of just popped in my head like maybe this is just something that happens yeah I don't want to go through everything that I went through before um and I, I'm just I'm just not going to say anything um my parents did end up finding out about what happened when I was 12 um I had actually written a letter to a friend um just kind of divulging like what I was going through because holding that in for so long um, on top of obviously still not fully processing or understanding what happened when I was seven. Um, I mean, it, it, it took a toll on me. Um, I, I got to a point where I was very depressed. I didn't want to leave my room. I mean, I would go to school, I would work um, during that time I had a, a job, but I, I pretty much locked myself up. Um, I would get very, I was a very outgoing, happy person, um, especially as a kid, even after what happened. Um, I, a, a big part of that changed 
I didn't have that same outgoing, happy, bubbly personality, but still, still me, you know, I still have that. And about, I'd say at the age, once it happened when I was 12, um, again, and then holding that in, it really took a, took a big turn for me, um, mentally and emotionally. And I still didn't understand it and understand why I was going through what I was going through. Um, I got to the point where I wanted to just end my life because I didn't want to feel, um, the, I explain it as like when you go down a roller, you know, that sinking feeling when you're going down a drop on a roller coaster, I constantly had that feeling and it was like agitating me. Like I wanted to just like get out of my body. Um, and I didn't understand it. I didn't know why I was having the feelings that I was feeling. I just knew that I wanted just a moment for that to stop. And, um, it was around that time that I wrote the letter to my friend and she showed it to my parents because she was obviously concerned about mm -hmm. me. And, um, that's where my mom and, um, then my dad found out about what happened when I was 12 and we never really talked about it. You know, they did kind of tell me, um, I remember my dad coming into the room and just crying. Mm -hmm. My dad, my dad's not, um, an emotional person. <laughs> I mean, he's not, I've, I've seen him cry a handful of times in my entire life. Yeah. And I just had to, I guess I didn't have to, but I felt, I felt like I needed to consult him. Yeah, um, yourself. Mm -hmm. And I, it was through that, that, you know, they did, they kind of, you know, asked me kind of what I wanted to do. They were behind me. Um, and I just didn't, I don't want to do anything. Um, come to find out that he was actually, my, my dad had found out that he actually was in jail for something else. So he was already doing time for something. It was not, not, um, for assaulting somebody, um, sexually assaulting somebody, but he was already doing time. Um, so I, I guess in that I, did I want to go forward and still, um, press charges, press charges? No. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think a big part of that too, is just once I got to that age, I was seven years old and this guy basically got a slap on the wrist Yeah. and, um, I just didn't, I did. It's exhausting. I mean, to hold something on for that long, to hold that in and then get to a point where you're like, Oh, maybe I do want to fight. It's, it's exhausting you're already so defeated. Yeah. Um, you know, you just kind of want to, for, I want to say forget it, but you don't really forget it, but you just kind of want to move forward. You don't want to just go back to that space. But I think the difficulty especially is that um, people that have experienced this that are coming forward, the criminal justice system needs to change because you're victimized mm -hmm. over again, even down to the questioning as well. It's, and it's, it's, I worked for um, the Ministry of Justice for 10 years and yeah, I had to leave because the criminal justice is, is crazy. And I worked in the specialist domestic violence unit for a year. And some of the questions I would see the lawyers for the guys, 
well, not, they're not always guys that the, the abuse, but yeah, the lawyers I'll see for, for, for the perpetrators, the way they would ask the questions to these women that were brave enough to actually come to court would break my heart. And it's the same with sexual, sexual, um, se sexual assault victims. I feel like there needs to be a change because so many women are actually being brave enough to actually go forward, but it's the questioning, it's the what were you wearing? Why did you drink alcohol? Like, it's do you not... have proof? Like, how do you have proof? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's something needs to change. And um, I know it's gonna sound so crazy what I'm gonna say, but I remember when I was pregnant with my son and I was praying that God, please let this be a boy, because I was so afraid of. I've I've got a very close family member that. that that's experienced this and I remember saying to to this family member that oh my god you and your you and your dad because my father wasn't really around when I was growing up but I was saying oh my god you you and your dad are so close like you've got a magnificent relationship and she said to me no like you don't know what's going on and then when she broke down to me I said what like you've been going through this and you haven't said anything you know I was like does your mom know she said that no um although she's she's a bit she's open about it now and she's 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 had some counseling and some therapy but we really don't know what what's behind a woman's smile you know what's behind um the makeup and what's behind the you know and we're so programmed to, when we say oh how are you i'm fine you know are we really fine mm -hmm. do you know someone that actually is going through heartache right now or has experienced something in their childhood and they're hiding behind that i'm fine it's like robotic yeah yeah it's robotic so in regards to um you and your your healing process um you've gone through therapy um so what's the emdr therapy because you put that up in your page and i have never come across it myself hence why mm -hmm. <laughs> i want to find out this is a this is my favorite thing to talk about now brilliant it's done it it, it it changed my life. Wow. It, it helped me to, um, to get, to get to where I am now to do that page to, um, I did already start to share my story. Um, just with, I mean, I had family members that didn't know my whole story, uh, friends, my husband, um, obviously knew about, um, what had happened, but not in full detail. Um, and most of that was because it just hurt him if I would start talking about it and he just, you know, put his hand, I, I can't, um, uh, but EMDR, it stands for eye movement desensitize, uh, sorry, desensitization and reprocessing. So what it is, um, uh, it started as, um, a woman was in, I forget her name. I don't have her name. Um, but she was walking through, uh, a hike going through a hike in a forest and something happened with her when she was looking from tree to tree, tree to like just looking around. And so it kind of turned into, it started as this therapy where, um, and they do still do it this way. Um, mine was not this way, but they will use, um, like their finger or they will use an object or something and they have you move your eyes while you're describing or telling your story, I guess, for my, in my, you know, 
experience, I would go over step-by-step step of what happened to me in those moments. Um, you have to feel, you know, my therapist would ask me, how, where do you feel that in your body? Like in that moment, where did you feel it? Did you feel it in your stomach? Did you feel it in your chest? Did you feel it in your head? Like, where did you feel the, the tension? Where did you feel the pain? Where did you, and you would focus on that and tell your story while they would have you do these eye movements. Um, and what those eye movements do, um, in my therapy, they did, um, they had something called tappers, which are these little, um, things that you hold and they vibrate. So they alternate vibrations between your hands, or you can put them like under your legs or on your legs and it, it alternates vibrations. Um, or, uh, what I did was, um, I had headphones on and they would alternate a beeping sound. Um, so everyone's different. Everybody, each therapist does things different. My therapist kind of had me try each option and what I felt worked best for me. Um, the beeping noise for me, it reminded me of hearing my daughter's heartbeat on the sonogram. So it kind of soothed me. Yeah. Um, and so what that does, the alternation is it opens up both sides of your brain. So it, it allows people that have trauma um, and it's very true for me, it stores, it, it kind of locks things away, which can come out, not necessarily the memory of it, but you have almost like a body reaction. It's a fight or flight reaction. Um, and your, your brain wants to always protect you. So when something say like a smell, say like I'd be walking around somewhere and I smell something and I don't realize it, but that smell reminds me of a smell that I had during one of my attacks. My, my brain will take that chunk and lock it away. It kind of wants to just, nope, we're not going to deal with that. We're just going to, we're going to hold that back. My, uh, what this therapy does is it opens everything up. So while I'm talking and telling my story, I can start to like, kind of remember things. Yeah. Um, and it helps me to process more. So through my therapy, um, what I was able to kind of uncover was I didn't know that what, like when it happened when I was seven years old, I knew I was seven. I knew I was in my house. I remember where I was at specifically when he would do things to me. Um, I remember the feeling, but I didn't remember much like there's other little areas that, you know, it's kind of blocked out. What I found out the, the first thing that actually clicked. And I mean, I came home and like told my husband, we need to take down the photo albums. I need to look in these photo albums. Like, don't ask me any questions. I just need to look in these photo albums. And he did it. And I looked at it and I found out through doing my therapy and then coming home and it was validated looking at my pictures that the first time that it happened was during my party for my first communion. Oh my gosh. And I mean, I, and I, I had him take it down because I looked at the date stamp on it and I looked at the photos and he was there. So what I ended up, what kind of came through when I was doing it was I heard music and I heard talking and I'd never like thought of that or remembered that. It, I, and I remember telling my therapist, I don't know why I'm, I don't remember like people 
or like, I don't, I just remember being in this room locked up with this guy uncomfortable, but I don't ever remember all this. And she just kept telling me, just keep going with it. Just keep talking. Like, it's just, you know, it's just your brain, like kind of process. It's, it's almost like you feel like you're dreaming, but you're awake because I'm reliving everything. But there's also things that come through where I'm like, what is, what is this? And then all of a sudden I kind of like, as I'm talking to her and telling her things, I realize I was like, I'm in a white, like a white dress. And I didn't like, you know, it's, it's something that just these little tiny things that you really would think it doesn't really matter that it's coming through. But then to find out like, wow, I really know exactly when this happened now. And I've always, um, I, I've had this, this bad feeling because, um, I mean, I would go to church on Sundays with my parents every day. We'd go to mass. Um, you know, I grew up in a Catholic family and my mom um, wanted me to get married in a church. I wasn't really wanting to, but I did. And, and my, the thing is that I've always had with churches for some reason, I always got this bad feeling when I went into a church and I felt terrible about that. Right. Because like, what, you shouldn't have a bad feeling going at, going to church. Yeah. And I just, I, I always just felt so weird about it and finding out that that, that, that would be why, I mean, this day that was, you know, my first communion was when it happened. So I automatically now have this, this terrible feeling, you know, this gut wrenching feeling that now it helps me because I understand now I don't feel so Like, I don't, I don't feel like, my gosh, why do I feel like this way going into, going into church, you know, and it, it, it connects, it connected dots for me. Yeah. And that's just one example of many other things that get connected for me. I've never really heard about that in therapy because oftentimes when you think about therapy, you think about coping mechanisms to deal with the future kind of thing or how to handle relationships, how to handle conflict, how to handle, yeah, life. But I, I like the fact that it's actually digging into the past because up until the time that you figure out you know, the past, it will carry on affecting the future. So I think that, yeah, it's, yeah, I've never really, I've never heard of that. It's amazing. There is a whole other part of the therapy that um, uh, it, it does go hand in hand is, so I would um, go step-by-step step talking about what, you know, what was going on and reliving that moment. Um, and be, very, like in, in detail, you know, you really have to, cause then my therapist would have me focus specifically on something. If something like really just, it, it, you know, made me so uncomfortable, obviously the therapist is there to help you, but you, you would focus on that. And then after go, telling everything you would go to, she would tell me to go to my safe space, which is something that you kind of, it could be a real place. It could be a made up place. Um, you, you go to your safe space and you go with your, um, forget what they call them, but I kind of called them like my guardians. So there were three figures, um, that, and I chose people that I didn't know. Um, one of mine was a celebrity. I mean, like just random, you know, whatever they actually do recommend that you don't always choose somebody that, you know, because sometimes you'd still hold back. Um, it's supposed to be someone that you can divulge to and, and be there for you and speak wisdom and help you. 
So you, you kind of like, okay, now I went through all of this. Now imagine being here with them. What would they say? What would they want you to do? And then you kind of go back and replay it, imagining what if one of those people were there for you that day? How would that have changed? What did you want to happen? Okay, you didn't want this to happen at all, obviously. How, how would that have, you know, could that person come in and stop it? Could that person come in before anything even happened? Like they have you kind of replay it where you know that's not what happened, but you kind of reimagine it as this is what I needed, this is what I wanted. And um, through this therapy, um, I mean, I can go on and on and on about my experience with the therapy, but it really, I got to a point, there was one, um, one session that, and as, as I got more and more into it, instead of having my guardians with me, it ended up being the different versions of me, different ages of me. So I had in my safe space, I had seven-year-old me, 12-year-old me, and 17-year-old me. And that is actually where it took a big turn because it, it helped to separate myself from that, who I was when that happened to me. Yeah. It, it allowed me to talk to them as someone of what I know now and how I can maybe help them and tell them that it gets better and, and what I've learned and almost like guide them through what happened versus like me being just, it's me. Like, yes, I know it's me and those versions of me are me, but there was um, a, an, a, an appointment where I had, I'm not gonna go all into it cause it would be a very, very long conversation, but um, I, I was in my room like me, I, I envisioned myself, and this is all just my mind. She wasn't really directing me. She kind of said, you know, she directed me a little bit to get me to where I was going, but I imagined myself going into my room when I was um, 16, 17 years old, around that age. And that's the age where I, I attempted to commit suicide. Um, and that's what we were really processing. So we weren't even processing the assaults anymore. We were processing me trying to end my life and where I was at in that part of my life. And it was, I, I remember seeing myself at that age in that room and trying to help her. And then a very, very long to not go into everything in that session, but I imagine, and I was going through it and I remember crying and, and taking the headphones off and telling my therapist, I don't know what's happening right now. I don't know why I'm imagining this. I don't want, like, I, I don't, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And she just was guiding me through to explain, like, you know, I took a break. Remember that you're here because you really do feel like you're back. back yeah. Like I said, dreaming while you're alive. It's, it's very strange. Um, and I remember like, just saying like, I, I can't, I can't, I, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why I'm thinking about this. I don't want to do this. And she said, this is that point. This is that breakthrough point like in this therapy where you go from needing this therapy to, you know, you're not necessarily not needing it, but needing this therapy to you're almost healed. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a breakthrough point. This is it for you. And I remember putting them back on and really what it ended up being was I watched myself, my version of myself, me sitting there, almost like I was sitting next to her in a hospital bed and she died. 
Wow. And, sh- and I had two people from my past who have, um, who have, have passed away. They showed up and picked her up and took her away and mm-hmm. told me that like, she's okay. We have her now. And it was just, it was the craziest thing I have ever done in my life. The, cra- the craziest thing I've ever even like imagined. But since that, that um, appointment, granted, all of them helped me and I uncovered things, but that was the hardest one, but it really did. It brought me to a whole new place to where I'm at now. That's brilliant. Because I've oftentimes um, heard of people um, that have gone through therapy, but then they still carry a lot of guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you managed to overcome any guilt? Because did it, did it die when you, when, when the, you were buried quote unquote with, with, with that vision or did you ever carry on any sort of guilt from the trauma? I think that it, um, the guilt part of it, um, most of the guilt that I felt was just what I did, did to myself by holding it in Mm. my, my guilt wasn't that I've, I've never really had, I guess I had a little bit, um, by not reporting the last two not trying to, you know, seek justice there. Um, But more of my guilt was that by holding it in for so long, and I found more of that out doing this therapy. So it, it helped me, but also it hurt to know that by holding that in, how much it really did take a toll on me and affect me. Mm -hmm. So um, the biggest thing that I learned is the guilt that I feel that there's a reason that I went through what I went through, there's a reason. I mean, I think this is an example just to come on and, and share this, um, hoping that it helps somebody. I mean, one person is all I want. And I, and I have had, uh, um, just from starting my page and, and sharing my story. Um, I have a friend who has a family member that, um, is, is older and it happened to her when she was very young and she never told anybody and she just came out and, and, and told her, her family. Um, just to know that I have helped one person because I imagine that person almost as almost like me and what I needed and what I wish I had, that's all I want. And so the, the, the guilt that I, I want to tell, you know, whoever might've went through this and has that guilt that it's, it's okay to feel that, yeah. but because it, it, it is, so it's okay to feel that, but to know that that guilt was put onto you by somebody else that you didn't ask for that guilt should be something that they should carry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that it just, it gets, it gets so much better. Cool. It really does. So how did you navigate um, dating? Because you're married now. Like, how did you meet this amazing man? Um, well, I met him by his mom. Ah! <laughs> his, his mom um, um, came in. I used to um, work at a bank and I did her banking and she came in and basically I, I would talk to her every time that she would come in and she would always tell me about these crazy girls that he would be dating and she didn't like them. And uh, she basically came in one day and said, I want your name. How do you spell it? Write it down. I'm gonna have him come in. 
and have them look you up on, she called it a MyFace because it was MySpace or Facebook. She didn't know which one it was. She said, do you have a MyFace? Okay. Basically, I had him come in and ask me out on a date. Um, and it obviously went somewhere. Oh my married. God. So it's like, um, what's that film called? Fiddle on the Roof, like a matchmaker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically when we got married I was like you picked me you can't go back on this um but yeah dating um I think it was somewhat difficult um only in the fact of there were times where I mean even just kissing or anything and I obviously didn't understand, but something would just be like, nope, don't want to do, you know, you just immediately kind of put your guard up like, no, I'm, I don't want to do this. Um, my husband now is the first one. And, and I had some moments like that with him, but he handled it wonderfully. And, um, I felt comfortable with him. So, I mean, it got to a point where he, you know, he would, I don't want to say like he would hold back, but I just, I felt, I felt good around him. I felt comfortable with him. It was somebody that, not that I dated um, these terrible men or anything like that, but I wasn't afraid. I knew that he wouldn't hurt me. I I guess you can say, Um, and definitely never intentionally. So if we ever had a moment where I was kind of like, you know, put that like, Ooh, no, like kind of, I just went to a bad place. He, he understood and just backed off yeah. and would not even be there. Like, I mean, obviously if I wanted to talk about it, I would talk about it, but just to be there. Yeah. Just, just Did there. you do the work before, like in regards to the therapy before you no. the relationship? Wow. No, I did the therapy just recently. I just uh, during the pandemic actually is okay. when I did everything. Um, I started just before that and then, um, continued through it when we were in the That's pandemic. Brilliant. That is brilliant that you, you know, met someone and they're understanding and then they've helped you basically through the work. Do the, the, work. the biggest thing for me is, so we're married, we have a daughter. Yeah. Um, you had said earlier about how you were so happy you had a son. I was terrified having a daughter, obviously for yeah. those reasons. And I still do um, get terrified, but I'll always be terrified. Um, but with having her, I mean, I don't want to take it away from my husband. He obviously gave me a lot of strength also, but she really did. My daughter is what like really pushed me. It still pushes me to do any of this. Um, I think that my next step in my healing and getting through everything that I have been through is the day that I can share with her. Um, she's obviously too young for that now, but, um, but definitely to, to be able to, to share with her what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I did want to say that what I do with her, because I think that it's something that, um, I think is good for parents to do regardless if you have a boy or a girl, um, because, you know, assault happens, happens to men too. Um, it's not just a a one-way street for women. Um, but what I do with her is every time that she's in the bath or the shower, Mm -hmm. I ask her to tell me what her private areas are and I I have her tell me. So she will point to them and tell me, um, granted she's five and there are some people that say, no, she needs to call it by the correct term, but (laughs) yeah, but for her, I mean, 
she'll, you know, call it a PP or, you know, my booty or whatever, but she points to them and she tells me what they are. And I ask her, can anybody see or touch your private areas? She used to tell me no. And I say, can you see or touch anybody's? She tells me no. Mm. And then I ask her if somebody asks to see them or if somebody tries to touch them, what do you do? And she tells me that she used to tell them, no, I don't want you to do that. Those are my private parts. And she knows to come and tell mommy or daddy. Mm. And we do that every night that she's in the shower. Every night. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's nights where she's like, mommy, I don't want to do that. But like, you, you know. To, yeah, you have to echo, you have to echo these, these things. Because even after I worked for the Ministry of Justice, I worked for social services for four years and I turned into a mini crazy woman because I wouldn't, my son wasn't allowed to go and stay at anyone's house. He wasn't allowed to, um, yeah, I, I didn't want them at my house, you know, because you just don't know. And yeah, it's oftentimes we think about rape and sexual assault with this boogeyman that society tells us, but it's most of the time it's someone that you know and even in the UK recently with them the Sarah Evergard um, case um, she was walking home during lockdown in the UK and she, there was a police officer that said to her that he was going to arrest her because she was outside during lockdown and he raped and he murdered her you know and that's a police officer someone that we're meant to trust you know and that's the thing trust is such a word that we float around and in actual fact I don't know whether it's rape culture, I don't know whether it's too much pornography, I don't know whether it's, we've been exposed too much sexually in society or whether men are just are not taught properly, or women as well are not taught properly because it can go both ways, but something needs to be done with the way in which we handle sex, something needs to be done in the way we communicate sex, ask for sex, because I feel like even with things like Tinder and Grindr, sex is something that's so accessible that it's not valued anymore. It's someone's body, it's someone's life, you know, it has so much, it has a rippling effect that we don't really speak about in regards to the way in which we're even introduced to sex as well. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like there needs to be a big change and it's though you're afraid of the coronavirus but that within itself is a pandemic that we are not speaking about it's a real pandemic one of the things that uh the first post and video that i did on my page was during the pandemic yeah. and i it was the first time i did um a video where i actually step by step went through everything that happened to me and what helped me or i don't want to say help it, what brought me to do it is the fact that, like you said, it is normally someone that, that you know. And I just, to think of those who, it could be a family member who is in their home that they are now locked up with and cannot get away from. Just, I mean, I cried just thinking of that. Mm -hmm. And to think that these people, I mean, even like, it, you can't really get into it's still now. Sometimes you can't even get into the doctor for anything unless it's a vet, like, no, you need to, Oh, we'll do a video appointment. Well, if they're on a video appointment and they're home with that person that is hurting them, they're not going to come forward and say that they're terrified. Yeah. And, um, so, I mean, I, I, I did that video and, and started doing more of this as just having, you know, that voice of, 
you may be stuck in doing this right now. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. Like, it, and, and this pandemic is not going to go on forever. And, and it, it you know, it's going to, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It just, it killed me to think that they're home. I mean, kids that are home with these people that are doing things to them. And it, it just, it still thinking about it. It destroys me. It just makes me think. What do you think could be done in regards to like understanding yeah, um, rape culture, understanding victims? Because even when I, like I said to you, I mentioned earlier about my um, family friend that's gone through it. She says to me, and it's so weird that we, you spoke about the, the therapy that you've gone through and certain things are triggers. And that's why I said that there's so many rippling effects that we don't really speak about. Till today, she doesn't like Colgate um, toothpaste because um, he used to, whenever he would have a shower, he would come into her room and then kiss her with, a, with, the, with the, yeah, the toothpaste. And mm-hmm. she, she said to me that when she tastes it, it takes her back there and she feels physically sick so yes. that's what I'm saying that there's so many things that like you've done the work but it kind of isn't the end it comes all the time that people actually have done the therapy because there's so many rippling effects it affects your day-to-day life you know like every day you have to brush your teeth for example yes. and then you're thinking about that that moment in your in your life what do you think could be done so for me, with doing this therapy, what's helped me, mm-hmm. um, I am in by no means cured. <laughs> I mean, that's not something that necessarily <laughs> happens. Um, I mean, I will forever, it, the rest of my life, have anxiety. I will definitely have moments just like that. What helped me with this therapy is, is knowing now when I do have those, then I know why. Mm-hmm. It helps me to kind of say, okay, this is this is why I'm feeling this way. This is not happening right now. I am in my home. I am safe. I am, you have to, kind. Of, it's exhausting. You shouldn't have to do that. But I mean, you, it, you, you tell yourself, it, it helps you to kind of bring yourself back down. Whereas before I did this therapy, you do, you go straight into that mode of, I do not know, don't like that. Mm-hmm. And even though you kind of might know why it's hard to bring yourself down, mm-hmm. right? Like, Um, I mean, I, I had nights where I woke up and this was just after my daughter was born. Um, I would wake up four or five times a week and I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would have to, I mean, I would literally get up out of bed and run to be outside because I felt like I was going to either like pass out. I was going to throw up. I was going to just, I would have, I would wake up not having a dream about anything and just feel like I was having the worst anxiety and I needed to be outside because I felt like the walls were closing in and I would sit outside. I mean, there were nights where it was raining and I sat outside in the rain in the front of my house for two, three hours until I was able to bring myself back down and go back to bed. And I still, to this day, even with doing this therapy, I know it, what it really was is it's just an acute, you know, my body got to a point where it felt like it could rest. And by doing that, my body's like so used to being so tense and locked up mm-hmm. that I felt like, oh, no, no, no. Why are you relaxing? This is like, and so in that state of sleep, when I was relaxing, I would get to a certain point. My, my mind would tell my body, whoa, whoa, something like something's off. Wow. And um, I mean, I understand that now. And I'm very fortunate to where I 
don't really ever have those anymore. I do sometimes, but I'm at a point now where I, I know why. And I do where I can tell myself I'm in my home. I'm here. Um, you know, I'll do my breathing. I will, um, I start to like say things that are around me. So I know like, oh, I'm in my home. Like there's a picture of my daughter. There is like, I, I kind of like tell myself like to bring myself back down. Uh, yeah. Um, so I don't know, does that, that was a very long yeah, answer. Does that kind of answer your question? <laughs> that's perfectly fine. Do you think that more can be done? Or do you think from what, you being a mum now, um, I put up, a, I don't even tell you what happened. I put up a post uh, two days ago on my Instagram and it was Batman. I think it's Batman or Superman is mm -hmm. coming out as gay, yeah? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but Superman's coming out as gay. And I put up um, a post and I was like, oh my God, guys, can't we just, I don't care whether he's gay, straight or binary can we just not push sex to kids yes. let yeah. the baddie let the goodie get the baddie that's it you know and I had so many people come in my DM saying to me you're homophobic I was like I'm not homophobic I'm talking about sex that has been pushed to children even yeah. down to some of the things that my son watches and if there's like a love interest and and I, I that, they don't need let them be kids like I just mm -hmm. feel like every second to sell perfume, boobs, kissing, it's just everywhere. We can't get away from, I feel anyway, because other people might feel differently, but I feel like our society is so sexualized, like sex has to be pushed even down to selling tea. Why? Mm -hmm. Just sell the mm -hmm. darn tea. Do you mm -hmm. feel, do you see that at all? Or is it just, am I like? Oh no, absolutely. Square? <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Um, I uh, I wrote down some uh, documentaries I watched, but that doesn't have to do with this. But in doing, I was just looking and you were asking that. I watched the movie um, Bombshell. Okay. I don't know if you've seen it or Is anything. it with the three ladies? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yes. And it's, um, it goes into, and I mean, this is based on a true story and I, I read up on the actual, the real story other than the movie. Um, but Fox Network would specifically the, the the head of Fox Network would hire women, uh, attractive women. He would specifically have them wear very short skirts or very plunged shirts. Um, and he would have the cameraman go back to the attractive woman, um, every i think it's like every every other minute so many minutes because it would keep the attention of the men audience basically as oh we're telling a news story you know not enough for like the news to get it but like we're going to go back here and we're going to look at this this woman with her short skirt and we will have angles where it is more like you can see more and the men can imagine more um i think it even says in there it might have been what i read too but you know he said oh if someone's flipping through the, the channels that would you know, like a man and they oh they would stop because they want to keep looking at this this pretty woman oh my god i don't know what i don't know what what we need to do as human beings because yeah i just feel like there's such everything is about sex and I remember I was um dating a, a guy a couple of years ago and he um this is going into my private life now but um every time we would 
have intercourse, um, he can never really finish. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what's wrong with you? He said, um, he knows he's got an issue um, with porn because mm -hmm. obviously he was helping himself. And I was like, I don't understand. You're a young guy. Why is it that you aren't, you aren't able to fully perform? And when I was looking at studies, so many men have issues with porn. And I, I don't understand, number one, why is it free? <laughs> you know, I've never yeah. seen, why is it free? Mm -hmm. And it kind of programs the men, for me anyway, um, that you can have sex with any woman at any time. The reason why porn is so, it's been so downloaded in society is because the woman's not saying no. And that's not real life. Sex is not real affection. Se um, sex is not real. Porn is not real affection. Porn right. is not real it's not love and mm -hmm. if a young guy for example is learning about himself and learning about porn um learning about sex sorry and then that the first thing he goes to is porn that's what he thinks sex is about and it's so sad that that's the first pool of contact a lot of guys have with sex is by going to porn and what a lot of people don't talk about is like porn, from, from what i've seen as well is that porn is like a gateway drug do you know how they say that if you start with a cigarette and you go to marijuana then you can go to something harder oftentimes people that start watching normal porn quote unquote it grows the appetite grows to where that, whereby they want like hardcore porn for example and people are not talking about the adverse damage it does to your psyche you know you're releasing dopamine constantly and that's not realistic and that's yeah. not love so yes. I don't know yeah I don't know whether you've ever um, read any of those studies at all um I have um not in not not very much but yes I have read um I am in a hundred percent agreement with what you've just said um I know that um Porn almost makes women feel as though they're just an object, not a person. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, if you, I know one of the, you know, the, the articles or the studies I was reading um, is it, it does, it, it, it creates women as they're just an object, a pretty object. And almost always in the porn, it's the man in control of the woman, not the woman in control of the man. Um, and I think that that um, contributes to the violence part of it. Um, I do also say, I mean, I do think that men know right from wrong and you should ask somebody, but porn also contributes to that where they don't think that they should be able to ask or whatever, or they're being rough and the woman might be saying, no, I don't want to do that. But they're like, yeah, you do. You like this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's very dangerous, right? Especially, I mean, for any age, but especially for the younger, um, you know, the younger kids that will be watching it. I mean, I don't know how you stop that, but you go to a porn website and they're like, oh, are you 18 years of old or older or whatever? And it's like, yes, I am. Like, okay, or put in a birthday. Okay, let me count, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, and like you said, it's free. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can just look it up, you know, and, and just free. watch it. You put, you put up a post um, on your Instagram. You, you said um, every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. And that is just, yeah, like my heart literally breaks hearing that. It actually, it, it changed recently during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. 
it is now every 68 seconds. Oh my God. And I took that, I mean, most of the, the statistics that are on my page um, or that I reference, I took from um, the RAIN, RAIN website, R-A-I-N-N. Um, and they have um, a lot of information. They have a whole section about um, statistics for um, age. So they have um, you know, statistics of how often it happens for children. Um, the majority of victims are usually between the age of, I wanna say 12 and 32 or 35. Um, uh, it's on the website, but there is um, a majority of, of those that are victimized are young, um, underage. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I would, I would go there. Um, every, let's see, yeah, every nine minutes. So every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. Every nine minutes, it's a child. And 25 out of every 1,000 um, of those uh, assailants will actually go to prison. And whenever I read these two, right? So these are st statistics that are um, out there. Obviously, there's a whole, such as myself, who have not come forward and prosecuted or, or, you know, tried to seek justice that have not said anything. So these numbers are probably much worse than they actually are on there. Um, so yeah, I mean, when I read 25 out of 1000, I just think of all those people that, you know, haven't come forward, they haven't said anything. And it's a lot, um, a lot of which are also men. I mean, men have a whole yeah. other, it's very difficult for them. Um, but I watched um, a, a number of documentaries um, after and during the therapy that I did, um, all of which are um, something to do with a celebrity. So it's usually someone of power. But um, I watched, um, it's called Finding Neverland, which is the one about Michael Jackson. Yeah. And it's a uh, majority about a, that they're interviewing are two different now men who he had um, assaulted and listening to them and what they were saying and what they went through and what they're still dealing with after everything. It's no different than what I went through. Yeah. It cuts um, so, I mean, even, you know, with it happening to, to boys and to men as well, it doesn't make it any different than what a woman goes through. It, I mean, it destroys you. It's not just the, the, the physical part of it is the easy part of it, wow. right? Like the actually going through it and then touching you when you don't want to be touched and, and, you know, violating you, that's the easy part that it's sick to say, but that's the easy part. The hard part comes afterward and what you're left to deal with and what you have to, what you have to, to live with. And I mean, it's like for me, for example, um, and I, I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of other people too, but it's something that I, I mean, I have to like actually walk myself through things, tell myself if I start to feel a certain way, no, 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 this is why, okay, we're going to take a step back. Okay. I have to actually like make myself do that instead of just anybody else who, oh, I feel kind of weird for whatever, you know, 
it's it's when you're victimized like that i mean it 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 triggers something in you and it's something that you can't wash off you can't get rid of you can only move forward and 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 keep fighting mm -hmm. and that's the hard that's the hard part yeah. thank you so much for your strength because you're exuding so much strength and yeah i just thank you thank you <laughs> on one of your um one of your posts you said um you're under no obligation to forgive your abuser mm -hmm. and why do you um because I've, I've seen a lot of um a lot of posts saying that if someone's hurt you physically emotionally mentally like forgiving is the first step mm -hmm. um, well, yeah why do you why do you feel like you're not under no obligation to forgive your abuser so I think everybody is different. Yeah. Um, I think some people feel that to have reached a certain point of their healing or to move forward or maybe to even get rid of that guilt, like we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. they have to forgive them. Um, and the first thing, the, the, the biggest part or the, not the biggest part, the first part of my, I guess, healing journey as to getting where I'm at now is I actually wrote a letter um, and this was just, I wasn't actually going to send it. It was just a letter that I wrote more for myself, but I wrote a letter to, it was one letter addressed to the three men that assaulted me. Yeah. It was a lengthy letter. I called each of them out. I went over step-by-step step of what they did and what I remember and, um, and, and what, what it has done to me. And I started that letter with the anticipation that at the end, I would, I would tell each of them that I forgive them for what they did and that I'm a strong person because of it. And because I, you know, it's, it's shaped me in a certain way for who I became and who I am. And that's how I started out that letter with that intention. And as I wrote that letter and I increasingly got more angry and angry and angry, I realized at the very end, I, I cannot forgive any of them. I just, I can't, you don't do that to somebody. And so I got to that point for me personally, um, that for me to heal and to get to where I need to, I don't need to forgive them. And I just don't, I still, for me, especially I mean, I've even thought like when I was seven years old and he was still under, you know, he was still somewhat young, 16, 17 years old. Maybe he didn't fully understand. Maybe he didn't get it. Maybe he, maybe it was porn that he saw and he thought he wanted to try something out. Um, but I still, I try and put myself at when I was his age and I still knew right from wrong. Yeah. And I wouldn't touch a seven-year-old, I wouldn't touch anybody without their consent, but I wouldn't touch a seven-year-old yeah. who doesn't even know what this is yeah. and ask me to keep it a secret. By asking me to keep it a secret, you know, you know, it's not right. Um, so that's where that post was, where I don't feel that it should be put on someone that in order for them to, to, to seek their healing, that they have to forgive the person that hurt them. Yeah. So in regards to your page, me for her, 
what um yeah why did you pick that title it was picked because for me it was it, it's me fighting for that person i was it's me fighting for that seven-year-old that 12-year-old that 17-year-old that person who who didn't understand the one that felt alone um i think that the me too movement um I think the biggest thing for that is the amount of people that have, because other people have come forward and shared their story, it's helped other people to come forward and share their story. Yeah. You realize that even though everybody's story is unique and different, you know, it's, it's their own and it's their experience and, you know, it, it happened quickly, it happened slowly, everybody's is different. But they're all the same in that regard too. Everybody, you you have this where you feel like you have an ally, yeah. right? Like you're not alone. Um, I mean, most of which there's people that come forward and it's something they've held on to for a very, 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 very long time. Or they came forward before and they said some, you know, told someone and they weren't believed. And so they didn't say anything anymore. But now with this coming out, they feel they feel safe enough to come out again. Um, I mean, there's still plenty of people out there that think you're lying. Yeah. So um, do you believe that we should believe first and then ask questions later? Absolutely. I don't think there's any harm in if someone if someone comes to you and tells you that, it's hard for them to do. It is not easy. And they're terrified that you're not going to believe them. Yeah. just believe them help them I know that there are people out there that will say it happened to them and maybe it didn't they'll use that as as something but I believe that a lot more people that come forward and say that it did happen to them it did yeah. it it's not I mean when I came out um to my friend about when it happened to me when I was 17 she didn't believe me and most of that was because she knew it happened to me two other times. She's like, why would it happen to you? Or like, she just, she didn't believe me. She thought I was making it up. And that, I mean, that was, I was telling a friend, someone who, who's been there for me and for them to question me on it and not believe me. And they said, well, you were drunk or, you know, whatever it is. It's, uh, it's hard. Um, that's the other thing too, is when, you know, you have somebody who is feeding someone drinks and they just want to have a good time or whatever. And then they bring them home and they use that as, oh, well, now they're, you know, intoxicated. They're not going to be able to fight me off or they're not going to remember it or their, you know, their, their, their story is not going to live up because they were under the influence mm -hmm. and there's no validity to that. Um, these you know, the, these people use that against their victims. They're, they're smart about it, I guess you can say. Um, yeah. So if someone's listening to the podcast right now and they have experienced this, what's one thing that you'd want to say to them and also where they can find you on social media for some support, therapy, advice, just someone to talk to, cry to, yeah, what, what's one piece of advice you'd want to give them? 
that your story is your story and you do not need to you don't need to share your story unless you want to unless you feel ready to um that you are not alone um take comfort i guess if you can and that that you're not alone that you have others that have been through what you're going through that you are going to have many bad days many bad days but there are a lot more good days and that there are some bad people in the world but there are also a lot of good people and to just keep keep fighting and yeah and that i'm here as an ally um you said it earlier but me for her is my page it's me underscore for underscore her and um you're welcome to dm me ping me um my whole story is on there i've you know posted my experience with the therapy with um statistics mostly all relating back to my journey and um and how i got to where i am today brilliant meg i want to say thank you so much for sharing your story and coming on the podcast and you've just been yeah amazing amazing and i love your strength i love the fact that you um mum now I love the fact that you are married you're happy and the fact that you're unapologetic and you are able to share your story and it's not sharing your story from a broken place you're sharing your story from a place of strength because you've done the inner work and the healing and yeah I like the fact that you're you're transparent about it that it's gone it's hard you still have hard days and oftentimes you hear people that have gone through something and they're talking about oh it's just, everything's fine now and it's very unrealistic but I love the fact that you're so you're so realistic in your approach that yes it's hard I have bad days but I'm here and yeah I'm here to support so thank, thank you so you. much Thank you, Khalifa. Thank you for having me on and for letting me share my story and for talking with you. It's been amazing. Thank you so much.